Good morning. Hey there. <laughs> so good to see everyone on this wonderful, wonderful day, the Lord's Day. My name is Thomas, and I'm one of your pastors here at Parkview. And uh, typically, I spend a lot of time working with our community groups and classes and things like that. Uh, but today, it's my pleasure to proclaim God's Word to you. So if you have your Bible, and I highly recommend it, you might want to turn to Deuteronomy 5. And our passage is a bit short, uh, but very substantial. We'll be in Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 through 15. Verses 12 through 15. Imagine that you go into work tomorrow. Oh, wait. You're not going into work tomorrow, are you? Many of you. Okay. Imagine you go into work on Tuesday. Go into work on Tuesday. Your supervisor approaches you and said, I need to see you in my office right now. You go. A little bit nervous, right? Maybe feel a little heat. You're sweating. And uh, you follow them, and, and you go. You sit down in your office, and they say, listen, starting today, I do not want to see you five days of the week. You need, to, you need to go. You need to go home. You're working way too much. How would you respond? I'll, I'll make sure you're taken care of. We're not, I'm not reducing your pay. I'm not doing anything different, but you need to just get out of here. How would you respond? Many of us would probably be, I think, excited. I think we'd be happy. We'd say, this is a joyful gift to me. This is wonderful. I'm gonna, this is life-changing for me. Um, you'd probably be ecstatic. And yet, uh, I think for many of us, when we think of the fourth commandment, the commandment to, as, as Greg reminded us and sort of prefaced us with, the commandment to Sabbath, to rest uh, to the Lord, a Sabbath special day of rest, I think our impulse is often to wonder, first of all, what is it that we're actually asked to do here? Uh, do we actually do it? How do we do it? What are we supposed to do here? And, uh, and if we were to embrace it, what would it actually look like? Well, today, I hope you will find out all of those things, and I hope that by the end, you will have the same response that you would have had if your supervisor called you into their office, a response of joy, gladness, and anticipated rest. So let me read this passage to you. You can read with me, Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. It says this. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And if you remember nothing else, I want you to hear this today from Deuteronomy 5, and it's very simple. Enter God's rest today. Enter God's rest today. This passage teaches us four things. The principle of Sabbath rest, the purpose of Sabbath rest, the problem, our problem, with Sabbath rest, and also gives us some ideas about the practices of Sabbath rest. They all start with P. Isn't that helpful? That's great. Okay, let me say them again. Principle, the purpose, our problem, and the practice. What is it? Why do we need it? Why do we struggle to do it? And how could we 
actually embrace it. So, if you're willing, please pray with me now. Almighty Father, giver of good gifts, every good gift is from you. We ask that you would teach us your very word by your very spirit in us, among us. Help us to focus on you now. Release us. We pray from discouragements and diversions and distractions, whatever would take our eyes from you. Show us Christ, the great giver of rest. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart now be acceptable in your sight, O Lord God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, this passage first teaches us the principle of Sabbath, the principle of Sabbath. That is, what is it? What are we talking about? Look again with me at verse 12. It says, observe the Sabbath day. Observe is a little bit different from, or you might read if you have the New American Standard Bible, as many of you I know do. It says, keep. And this is different from what we read in, in the Exodus version of Ten Commandments, where it simply says, remember. Uh, it has the idea of intentionality, of purpose, uh, that the Sabbath is not something you will accidentally blunder into, but it's something that you must observe. So it's an intentional, it's a regular practice. Next, we see the word Sabbath. Observe the Sabbath day. Sabbath is not a word we use very much, is it? I think the one uh, occasion where you might use it out in just general society would be when you're talking about going on a sabbatical, right? So you might take a sabbatical. I think that's still a place in the, in the sort of the secular workplace. The word Sabbath literally means stop, rest, or cease. It is not a special word. It is not a, a, an especially religious word, so to speak, in the vocabulary of Hebrew. It literally just means stop. Uh, most places in the Old Testament when this word is used, it is not in reference to the special Sabbath day that's being referenced here. It simply means stop. Uh, the next time that it's used in the book of Deuteronomy is in Deuteronomy 32:26, and it says, I will wipe them from human memory, which is translating the word that just says, I will cause their memory to stop. It means stop. <laughs> stop what? Well, we'll talk about that in a second. But then we see the word holy. Observe the Sabbath day, the stop day, the rest day, the ceasing day. Observe it intentionally to keep it holy. Holy meaning set apart. Holy meaning the opposite. Holy is not the opposite of unclean. Holy in the opposite of common. A day that is different from every other day. So from verse 12 we see, simply, the Sabbath is an intentional day of set-apart rest. Simple. What are we resting from and who is doing that resting? We see in verses 13 through 14. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, and now the list becomes so long that it almost becomes silly. We're naming oxen. <laughs> and cows, and dogs, and I don't know. Everything under the sun is sort of given as an example there of things that should not be working, including the sojourner who's not an Israelite but is among them. No one's doing any work is, is the clear message here. No one is doing their normal labor. And just in case that we read this and we think, ah, okay, so the Bible's anti-work. No. In fact, I hope you notice in verse 13, actually, there's a tacit command within the Ten Commandments, within the Sabbath command to work. Did you see it? It says, six days you shall labor 
and do your work. So work is in no way denigrated. In fact, it's commended to us. It's commanded to us. Six days you labor and do all your work, but on the day of rest, or the Sabbath day, the Sabbath rest, which is sort of silly, it's like saying rest, rest, Sabbath rest, it just means rest, you shall not work. No one is excluded. Every, this, this special day of rest is extended even to the dogs and the camels and everything in your, everything. And so, to sum it all up, it's very simple, the principle. God calls his people to a certain rhythm of life. Six days of work give way to a special day, a special day of rest, a set-apart day of rest, an intentional ceasing, a day set apart. Life for God's people in Israel back then would not be marked by unending toil. Production would not be the fundamental characteristic of Israelite life. Rather, God tells us in the fourth commandment that just as our work can be righteous to the Lord or unrighteous, so also our rest gives us an opportunity to please God. God commands us to rest. How strange. Maybe I'm the only one, but when I think of the Lord in heaven watching me sort of going about my days, I imagine that whenever he looks down at me, he wants to see me busy, right? What are you doing? What have you done for me lately? Come on, come on. In fact, God is pleased when we rest. There, There are times when God looks at us and we are not resting and it doesn't please him. Hmm. And we should receive Sabbath this way, as a holy gift from the Lord. Not a burden to be borne, but a gift to be received. An intentional rest, a special set-apart time to the Lord. Enter God's rest today. That's very simply the, per- the principle of Sabbath. Next, we see about the, the purpose of the Sabbath. And in fact, we see two purposes for the Sabbath. The first that we see is in, well, this is sort of a, a little hyperlink, but you'll see in verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Okay? Why did it say in the past tense, commanded? Uh, it's because if we go back to Exodus 20, where the commandments were first given to the Israelites before they were supposed to make this quick little 11-day journey over to the promised land that became 40 years of wandering. That's where we are in the Bible, remember? Um, he says th- that the Lord your God commanded you. And if we go back to where it was commanded in Exodus 20, Moses coming down the mount- from Mount Sinai and, and, and delivering these commandments, this, this is what he said there. He, he gave the Sabbath command, you shall keep the Sabbath and keep it holy, just as it says here. But then it says, for in six days the Lord God made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the Sabbath day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So we don't make the Sabbath day holy. God has made the Sabbath day holy, and it's our job to recognize it as such. And the reason for it, the purpose for it, is creation. Just as God uh, rested one day out of the week, he, he worked and labored six days to create all of the heavens and the earth, no big deal. And the seventh day, he ceased, he stopped. And, and if we are made in the image of God, it, it turns out that we are made in the image of a God who rests. A, a God who lays down his labor, who takes a step back and sees, as we saw in, saw in Genesis 1 and 2, he saw that it was good. And so we should too. We should have regular times of ceasing. At least one of the reasons that God made us for rest is because it connects us to him. To rest is an act of dependence on God. An act of reliance. To pass up a perfectly good day of labor uh, is to hand your future to God and say, keep your promises. 
God promises the Sabbath. Uh, remember, uh, and this is, I think, interesting to note, historians and, and sociologists have looked and looked and looked for years and years and years, and there's no historical precedent for the Sabbath day. Up until whenever, I, I don't have a good number in my mind of when the Israelites would have received this command, but up until that time, basically every person in history just worked. Unending work, you woke up, it's morning, time to work. You go to bed, next morning, you do the exact same thing. God gave them this, and I have to imagine that it provoked some measure of anxiety. For some, it was a great relief. If you, have, if you have an employer, if you're a servant, especially in Israel, you get to rest. But especially for those who were not employers, but if you're a farmer, which was probably the main occupation, especially as they enter the promised land, that's what they'll be doing, to, to lay down your labor one day a week, will my family be fed? Will we have enough? Will we, ha- will we keep the roof over our head? To Sabbath is to depend on the Lord's provisions and on his promises that if he, his people obey him, he will always take care of them. Sabbath causes us to rely on the Lord. And if, if the purpose of Sabbath is grounded in creation, not, not a result of the fall, not a, a product of dysfunction or disobedience, but if it's really part of creation, then our need for rest, not only the one day a week rest that's called for here, but our need for sleep, our need to not just work constantly and never take a break, is not a bug in the, in the human machinery. It's a feature. The need for rest is not a result of disobedience or dysfunction. God likes sleep. He invented it. God likes weekends. He invented them. You're welcome, okay? Uh, He made them for you, and he made you for them. I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation with a friend and, and it seems inevitable, it happens every single week to me, but you talk with someone and, and it almost seems automatic that when you ask someone how they're doing, you, you, you say, how are you doing? What's the first word out of their mouth? 90% of the time it seems like, I'm busy, I'm busy. And what do you say? Ah, yeah, me too, me too. And I, it seems like some of the time uh, what transpires after that is it almost becomes sort of the Olympics of busyness. Uh, what are you doing? And we sort of go through the five events, we sort of have a pentathlon of busyness. What, you're busy at work, okay, busy at work, busy at home, oh yeah, and the kids and the sports, and busy in the, yep, busy in these relationships, busy in this, and your side hustle and everything, and it sort of becomes, who's the busiest? You know, we sort of have a little competition, try to win the gold medal, but there's pressure on you to be busy. It's almost the expectation to be busy. More on that in a minute. But according to the Bible, rest is not only good, rest is part of obeying the Lord, and to rest is to live in line with the way that God fashioned you. To rest is to work with the grain of your created reality. So the first purpose is creation. The second purpose for Sabbath, and we see it in verse 15, it says this, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day, rescued you out of slavery. What is slavery? Slavery is unending labor that you do with your, heart, your hands and your arms, which is what he says he brought you out with his mighty hand and his outstretched arm. He is the God who labored to bring about our rest. Sabbath rest points back to the day when God redeemed Israel out of slavery. No longer would they toil day after day under the hot Egyptian sun for the Egyptians 
God led them forth out of Egypt, rescuing them out of constant, unending schedule of labor without rest. Today, of course, we, we are celebrating Independence Day. I always think it's funny that it seems like half the time that you, you know, someone will say, Happy Fourth of July, as if it's just the day is special in itself. It's not, we don't barely ever call it Independence Day, but July 4th. What does it mean? What is this day? Why is it special? Of course, fundamentally, it harkens back to the creation of our independence, uh, or at least the declaration of it. Uh, July 4th, all those years ago, 1776, when we wrote a big old document, which is what you do, and sent it off and said we're no longer uh, under the rule of the Brit- British. Uh, but we celebrate, of course, not only looking back to the creation of our independence, but uh, just like was said several times from the stage already, we're celebrating our ongoing freedoms. The, the fact that we still have these pr- great principles that we hope to live by or at least aspire to. And so our sabbatical rest, our Sabbath rest, our rest rest, uh, is also doing those two things. Not only looking back to creation, the creation of our rest, which is in Genesis 1 and 2, but also pointing to the principle of our rest, the fact of our rest having been accomplished, an ongoing principle for us. And so if we put those principle and purpose together, it would be something like this, that our Sabbath, because of our nature, and because we need to be reminded of God's salvation in the past, God has given us intentional rest, the gift of intentional rest set apart from our normal habits of labor. That's why we need it. God's purpose for rest is grounded in creation and redemption, and so I urge you again, enter God's rest today. But we've got a problem, don't we? We've got a problem with Sabbath. You know, every, every command that we have in the Ten Commandments and really in the whole Bible, it, it also points to something wrong with us just by the fact that it has to be commanded. If you ever think about that. Uh, if you're a parent, you know that you have had to give commands that you never thought you would need to give. Do not wash the clothes in the toilet. Okay, why do I need to say that? What's wrong with you? You know, that sort of thing. Same thing. You know, we read in the Ten Commandments, we read, do not murder. We kind of go, what? Why? Does this really have to be said? Yes, it does. The same thing here. So also with Sabbath. We have a problem with Sabbath, with rest. Why does this have to be commanded? In 1930, the economist John Maynard Keynes penned an essay titled The Economic Possibility of Our Grandchildren in 1930. Uh, he predicted that by the 21st century, we would have a 15-hour work week. 15-hour work week. He looked at sort of the economic trends of production in the nation, and, you know, it's hard to imagine then, but they were sort of 50 years past the Civil War, and things were sort of on the uptick, and America was sort of up and coming, uh, sort of globally rising country. And uh, he sort of charted that out, and he said, well, it looks like in about 70 years, we won't, be, we won't need to work as much. It, it just won't be necessary. And he said that the chief social challenge would be managing our abundance of leisure time. He said this, for the first time since his creation, man will be faced with his real, his permanent problem, how to use his freedom from pressing economic cares, how to occupy the leisure which science and compound interest will have won for him to live wisely and agreeably and well. So, here we are, 90 years later. Aren't you enjoying that 15-hour work week? I'm, I am not, actually, and probably none of you are either. What happened? What went wrong? Well, there's a hint of insight, uh, albeit just a hint. 27 years later, as the post-World War II boom, another economic boom was being launched and beginning, uh, a New York Times reviewer, Eric Barnow, wrote this as a retrospective on Keynes' 
thesis. He said, the increasingly automatic nature of many jobs, coupled with the shortened work week, seems to have created parallel tensions, which lead an increasing number of workers to look not only to work, but also to leisure for satisfaction, meaning, and expression. Today's leisure occupations are no longer merely regarded as time fillers. They must, in the opinion of both social worker and psychiatrist, also perform to some extent as emotional buffers. They look not only to work, but to leisure for satisfaction, meaning, and expression. We look to work and leisure, work and rest, labor and rest, for satisfaction, meaning, and expression. The author uh, and social scientists up to today are discovering what the Bible has been saying for thousands of years. We have a problem. We need Sabbath, and yet we won't take it. We need rest, and yet we can't find it. What is wrong with us? Why is it that it seems like we are always working but never finished, always accomplishing but never accomplished? often resting, and yet never really rested. If I go back to my example with the busyness Olympics, right? Uh, here's what David Zoll said in his book, Seculosity. He says, to be busy is to be valuable, to be desired, to be justified. It signals importance and therefore enoughness. Busy is not just how we are, it's who we are or at least what we like to be. Busyness has become a worldly virtue, and we have imbibed it. It's become an, uh, an unquestioned default answer when someone asks how we are. When someone says, I'm busy, we don't say, oh, my goodness, what's going on? We say, oh, yeah, yep, of course you're busy, because we're busy. Busyness is next to godliness. And if I'm busy, it must mean I'm, I'm an important person. I'm, I'm in high demand. My skills are needed. My existence is justified. So often we look to our work, and this is, God knows this, and this is why he has given us this command, not only then, but now. We look to rest and to work, but we look to work because work is not just work, is it? And leisure is not just leisure. They are satisfaction, meaning, expression, purpose, we are asking them to give us something they were never meant to give us. We are asking them to give us what God can only give. And that is why we must lay down our labors in a good rhythm of work and rest. My wife and I were watching a documentary about Wolfgang Puck, uh, this great, perhaps you've heard of him, this great famous chef all over the world. He's got this huge restaurant empire, and really this, this story was a story of sort of rags to riches and and Wolfgang having come up in this incredibly poor household uh, with an abusive, abusive, terrible stepfather uh, in Austria, leaving that behind and sort of ascending to the stage of uh, everywhere. He's, his, his star is on the Walk of Fame in Hollywood. He's opened thousands of restaurants, well, hundreds of restaurants. He's, his net worth is north of $100 million. He has hundreds of restaurants all over it. Fame, success, people know his name. You've probably seen his food in the airport for some reason. I don't know. But one of the key things that was driving this whole, the whole narrative of this biography, this documentary forward, was this. Why can't Wolfgang rest? After all of the success, after everything, it's clear, 
And it's heartbreakingly clear. Why can't Wolfgang rest? Growing up, he, he tells a story of his, his stepfather and the abusive relationship that they had, him coming home constantly and saying to Wolfgang, he would, he would be terrible to him, and he would say to him, you're good for nothing. You're good for nothing. Wolfgang went to his first cooking job. He, he, they ran out of mashed potatoes. It's a whole thing. They ran out of mashed potatoes. It's Wolfgang's fault. He got fired from his little cooking job. He's like 14 years old. He was terrified to come home because he knew his stepfather was going to greet him at the door. I knew it. I knew you were nothing. I knew you were good for nothing. And so he stayed all night. He went back the next day, got his first cooking job, got the job back, and sort of his career took, back, took off from there. But it's heartbreakingly clear as you listen to the pain and anger in Wolfgang's voice 55 years later, 55 years later, as he was opening yet another restaurant in Hollywood, this is the quote from him, no one will be able to say to me, you're good for nothing anymore. Work is not just work. And it's not just Wolfgang. It's you and me. Our lack of rest, our drive to try and earn a sense of rightness through our work or through our leisure and what we can find there. A weekend is not just a weekend, is it? <laughs> what are we looking for? They're not morally neutral. It's a symptom of our attempt to be enough without God, to live without him. And what we need most is to be reconnected to him. The reason that we keep trying to work and work and work ourselves to the bone, stressing ourselves out and killing ourselves with work, is because there is an imprint of God deep inside of us reminding us that we should work for our rest. We should earn our rest. There, there is some kind of work that we could do to somehow be awakened to the reality that rest is something to be earned. It's something that we could, that we should earn. We do. We're like Wolfgang. We know that deep inside of us, we need approval. We need someone from outside of us, just like Wolfgang, some father, some heavenly father even, to say to us, you're enough. You've done enough. It's finished. Your work is done. You've earned your rest. Except we'll never work our way back into God's rest. So how can we get back into God's rest? How can we enter God's rest today? Well, the curious moment in the life of Jesus. In Matthew 11, Jesus says this as he's teaching. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You hear that word rest. And remember, it's just the plain word rest. And uh, Matthew, in his biography of Jesus, uh, he, he follows that story up with the story of Jesus walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath and uh, the controversy that ensues. And it's almost certain that when Jesus was talking about this, he was referring to and probably used the Hebrew or Aramaic word, Sabbath. Come to me and I will give you the rest. I will give you the rest that you are looking for. I will give you the promised rest, the commanded rest that you are looking for. How can he offer that? Can he deliver on his promise? Of course, Jesus was not offering a literal relief from physical labor. He wasn't saying, come to me and I will employ you. <laughs> um, what was he saying? He was offering, however, a real relief from the spiritual struggle that underlies all of our actual labor. We aren't tired because we're working too hard, although we are. <laughs> we're tired because we're working for what work can never give us. 
And that's what he's talking about. To us who are weary and heavy laden from the work that work can never really accomplish, from the rest that our work can never really accomplish, Jesus says to us, come to me. Come to me. The only qualification for coming to Christ and receiving his rest is this. Are you weary? Heavy ladenness is the prerequisite for Christ's rest. Christ is saying to you, to them and to us today, I am the door, the way to enter the rest that God has promised. I am the only way. And if you will come to Jesus, he will give you the rest that you truly need, the rest that we are all prone to look for and to earn, try to earn in our work and even in our leisure to try to accomplish rest with entertainment and all kinds of things. Not the rest that leaves us feeling cheap and unsatisfied, real rest. How? Because on the cross, Jesus suffered the penalty that we deserve. There's a reason that Jesus, in the the last breath of his, his dying breath on the cross, what did he shout? It is finished. It is finished. What was he saying? Jesus was saying that he had done on the cross what all of us have been trying to do with 80-hour work weeks and evenings and phones that are always on and four hours of sleep. He died the death that all of our ungodly striving deserves so that we, he can say to you today, come to me and I can give you rest. I can give you what you've been looking for. I w- I'm, I'm happy to do it. I, it's the whole reason I came. And when you trust him, whether for the first time or the 5,000th time today, this week, the banner then over all of your work, which by the way, commanded, remember the tacit command, six days you shall labor, is not anti-work, it's not anti-rest, it's not just, when you trust him, the banner over all your work, whether it's a busy week or a light week or it's stressful or it's not, and over your vacation and over your weekends and over your daily commute and over everything will be this, it's finished. It's finished. The real work has, is done. And now I'm just going to go work. <laughs> the work of being enough, the work of having enough, the work of earning what, what work could never actually give me, work can just be work. And leisure can just be leisure. And rest can be the Lord's. Notice too that Jesus doesn't sort of offer up this sort of labor-free leisure. He, what does he offer us? A yoke. He says, take my yoke upon you. The implication being, you already have a yoke. Take that one off and take my yoke. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come with me into my yoke. I will lead you toward real rest and real work. Let Jesus reorder everything about the way you do work and leisure. That's what he's saying. If, if your yoke is from anyone else, you will be buried You will be driven into the ground. But if your yoke is from Jesus, you will never really work, even as you do work. And you will be resting. You will be really resting. So Sabbath is an intentional practice, a set apart, holy time of rest to the the Lord, a time that God blesses, a time where we look back to creation, embracing our creation in God's image, in the image of a God who rests. And it's also a time of remembering and embracing our reliance on God for salvation to have accomplished the work that our work can never really accomplish. But while the Israelites look back to the crossing of the Red Sea and God's great gift of salvation there, we look back to the cross of Calvary. 
a greater act of deliverance with a greater promise and greater demands. We see this all over the New Testament especially. Jesus, in the Old Testament, do not murder. And then we read in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, oh, yes, you're commanded, do not murder. And yet, did you know to even be angry with your brother is to break this commandment? Do not commit adultery. But Jesus says, if you just look at a woman with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery. This heightening of the command, this, this all-encompassingness of it. It's not just that God wants one day of our week. God wants all of our life to be marked by this kind of Sabbath rest. So, must we enter God's Sabbath rest today? I hope I've been plenty obvious at this point. Yes, we must enter the Sabbath rest that Christ offers us today. Yes. What does that look like practically? There's room for difference. Uh, and Paul addresses that very question in Romans 14, 5 through 6. He says, one, day, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced. You should observe, to go back to our passage, you should observe it, you should keep it, you should honor it. You should be fully convinced in your mind. And the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. What it looks like practically for us to intentionally take times of rest, holy, set-apart rest for the Lord, is a room, there's room for difference. For some, they're convinced that it's imperative for them to have a full day of rest, be it on Saturday or Sunday, that is completely set apart to the Lord where labor is not done. God honors that. For some, it might look different, and I have a few ideas I want to roll out in the, with the practice of Sabbath. We've gone to the principle, purpose, problem, and now the practice of Sabbath. What might this actually look like in day-to-day life? The first one is, just embrace God's rest. We must just embrace God's rest. Uh, That is, if you're here and you have never heard of this, you've never heard of the kind of rest that Christ offers, his word to you is the same as that word all those years ago. Come to him. Enter his rest for the first time. The greater rest that Sabbath points to is that God's offer to lay down the work to justify ourselves, to be enough, to justify our existence before others and before God, to try and earn our way into real rest for our souls the way that Christ has already accomplished for you on your behalf. And the prerequisite for you is to come to him. Now, go to him in private prayer and ask him to give you the rest that your work could never accomplish, that you are laying down your rest at his feet and you want to receive the rest that he offers, that only he can offer. The second thing, and especially for those of you who trust Christ now, is make Sunday a special day. I want to encourage you to to make it a day of active rest, a day of intentional worship to the Lord. Uh, One family asked about this, and it sort of asked about their practices of Sabbath. Uh, They mentioned a, a Sabbath of sundown on Saturday to sundown on Sunday, giving them a little bit of time to prepare for the day uh, for the week starting on Monday. This would require a high level of intentionality for a lot of us. You'd need to sit down and sort of decide in your heart, what are the kinds of things that do what Sabbath is meant to do, that point you back to Christ, point you back to his salvation, accomplished for you on the cross, that encourage you to lay down your work. You're not only in not doing work, but they remind you of it. And probably make some kind of list or have some kind of guideline in your mind of the kinds of things that we're not going to do on that day. Uh, that would be the kind of thing that you might do. This will require preparations. I would encourage you to do that. Uh, Dean and Sarah, who's a, a, a pastor in Florida, he often says this. He says, Sunday morning worship is a Saturday night decision. The way that we come on Sunday has been 
highly influenced, especially if you have children here, I know, uh, is going to be decided by the kinds of decisions you make on Saturday night. So I encourage you, it will take discipline. But isn't it worth it to be reminded of the rest and the wonderful gift that God has given us? It's meant to be a day of feasting and rejoicing. Make Make this a day that your kids look forward to, that you look forward to, that you enjoy, a day of active rest. Don't you want your kids to grow up and, and say, I love Sundays. Sundays in your household was the best day of the week. It was, it was just so joyful. My parents, we, just, we gathered around, whatever your situation is, and it was just fun. I enjoyed what we did that day. Make it a special day. Maybe that's a special meal. Maybe it's some special rhythm of life that you do together, something they know there's an activity, something that you're going to be looking forward to doing together in active rest. I'd encourage you, too, to disconnect from technology. Make an intentional effort not to be reminded of all those ways that we tend to try to earn our salvation through work, to work our way into rest, to avoid uh, unnecessary and prolonged sort of entertainment. Screens often, for the most part, and discern this in your hearts, do not provide real rest. They just sort of gray out our brains for, for a while. To enter into rest will look like uh, something with a little bit more intention than that, although that might be one ingredient. And secondly, uh, I want to encourage you to sanctify your commute. If you could do just one thing, it'd probably be this. Sanctify your commute both to work and back home. The way that you might do this is, is this, cause, because the, the time between home and work, I don't know about you, it's the, the time where I'm sort of deciding how I'm going to work in my heart. I'm, I may not be thinking that way, it may be totally unintentional, but I'm sort of deciding what I'm going to be doing and how I'm going to be doing it. Write out a prayer write out a passage of scripture, put it on your car's dashboard or however you get to work, and remember to, to prepare your heart during your commute to work, reminding yourself this work is not the work of salvation that has been accomplished by Christ on my behalf, it's work. And God has something for me to do and the world to bless through it, but it's just work. And on the way home, when you're going to rest, right, at home, reminding yourself this is rest and it's good and I receive it as a gift, but it's not the rest I ultimately look forward to, it's just a shadow. Be intentional. Write a prayer of preparation. Put it on your dashboard so you don't forget. So let's embrace this. Let's become a community, a sanctuary of rest in this place on Sunday mornings, but in your households so that when people come into contact with people at Parkview Church, they say, these are people of rest that embody the rest of Christ, that have Sabbath written on their hearts, the rest of written on their hearts. God desires it from us. We need it, and our world is lost without it. Let's enter God's rest today. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of rest. Thank you for your gracious call for us to enter the rest that you have given, the rest that you have redeemed, the rest that you have accomplished on our behalf. Thank you for Christ who has done the work that we never could do so that we can rest in a way that we never could rest. Help us to enter that Sabbath rest, that that rest that you promise, that you command today, whether it's for the first time, calling onto Christ, offering him our heavy ladenness and burdenedness, or for the 5,000th time, being reminded of what work is, what it can give us and what it can't. We pray that you would form us deeply in our character, in our hearts, to love your rest, to be reminded of it often, that we would make habits to return to it regularly, frequently, and intentionally, to lay down our labor, 
and to lay down our labor in the Lord for your sake. We pray that we would become those kinds of people and that kind of church. We pray all this in your son's precious name. Amen.